Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping, as you know, we rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep the mics on and the conversations like the one you're about to hear keep happening. Uh, how you do that is you click the link at the top of the podcast. It says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. And it's the easiest bit of activism you can do. Once a month, you throw us that few quid and it helps us carve out that space so we, so we can keep being the irritants that we want to be. We understand it's tough out there at the moment, so we appreciate every cent we get. But it isn't the one-way street. You get tons of additional content, including the last few days alone. Sarsha Exton joined Rory to talk about her uh, intervention, shall I say, to Eamon Ryan's speech and the reaction she received uh, as a young climate activist, uh, one of the people behind Fridays for Futures. Uh, Porrick Fogarty joined us. If you were uh, living under a rock, you might not have known that Porrick Fogarty left the Irish Wildlife Trust over a blog that he wrote where he made a comment about the Irish Farmers Association and some of the members or some of the actions lurching to the far right uh, went over really well with our members at the moment and of course Shami Malik Miam and Harry Mac Evansonia joined us for our Sunday show and it went a little bit all over the place all of those and our entire back catalogue of over about 1300 podcasts now at this stage are in one consolidated feed at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack you'll be doing us a huge favour and you're saving yourself the grief of having to listen to this I'm going to wrap it up now and let you get to the podcast Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and this morning I am joined by the Sock Dems leader, Holly Cairns. And uh, I say Sock Dems leader, is this the first time that we've spoken, Holly, since you took over as the party leader? Because I know we've spoken about half a dozen times on the pod, but this is probably the first time since you uh, you you ascended. It is the first time. Um, yeah, it's the first time because I remember at the end of the last podcast, I think we probably stopped recording. You were like, is there going to be a changeover in leadership? And here's yeah. me. No, I hope not. <laughs> That's right. And, and for listeners' benefits, I did say to Holly, I would put myself forward for it at the time as well. You know, you did say, Tony, you should be a member to do that. And I said, well, it wouldn't stop me anyway. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I didn't even, and I didn't even get a nod for for uh, for a deputy leader now that it's Keen O'Callaghan. I didn't even know there was a contest, Holly. Um <laughs> Listen, enough frivolity, I suppose. It's the end of term. I had a conversation the last couple of weeks. I uh, spoke with Lynn Boylan. I spoke with uh, Paul Murphy. And we were kind of sort of tongue in cheek saying end of term, you know, your school exams. Just just if we could just start on that basis. How do you think the doll did the last in the last uh, the last few months? A, uh, the government and B, the opposition. How do you how do you think your role in opposition has gone? That's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I think the last few weeks, it's been really quite difficult to be in opposition and highlight a lot of issues because every every headline, every paper, every person is talking about um, the whole saga in RTE, which is really important. It's our public service broadcaster, you know, um, but it has really kind of made it difficult to draw attention to other issues. Mm. So in that context, you know, I think we probably could have done better in opposition because a lot of things went unnoticed. I mean, it's not for, for lack of trying to highlight them, but it has to be said that we perhaps didn't succeed as much as we needed to because there's a lot of important stuff happening. And and let's 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 get into some of those important things because I, I, I all right, if if you were living under a rock um and you didn't know who Holly was, Holly Holly has come from a an agricultural background. She's come from, you know, a rural community. Uh, has often talked about before it was it was fashionable to talk about it, the, the need for um, you know, sustainable uh, food systems and biodiversity. And then we go and we fast forward to the last couple of weeks while everybody was talking about, as you said, and you know, with with some some justification the issues in RTE you know the RTE themselves are doing a, a um 
an investigation into the live export of calves. And I put it to you, Holly, that the most shocking thing about it is that I don't think we were really that shocked, some of us who've been watching for for the number of years. No, people who've been watching weren't that surprised. But like, also, Tony, like anyone, say, who's farming, Mm. who's in the Department of Agriculture, in Chagas, which is the advisory body for the Department of Agriculture, or in a farming organisation, you know, like the you know, the IFA, the ICMSA, the Irish Nature and Hill Farm Association, everybody has seen the rapid expansion of the dairy sector and known, at least on some level, that it hasn't been sustainable and that there's only so far it can go. And the kind of blind denial of that reality from government representatives, some opposition, to be fair, and from a lot of farming organisations, not all, mm. is, in my opinion, so damaging because obviously we know politics lends itself to short-termism people say things that will get them what they perceive to be the next vote kind of but like particularly on this issue i've always found that politics politicians really underestimate farming communities on this issue and like there's a kind of sometimes i find it borderline offensive as in like do you think because like because we're farmers we don't get it that we don't understand the facts the science that, you know, like their farming communities are more engaged with nature than most people. Mm. They, they, they literally are, they have to be custodians of the land. Exactly. And I think it's like you can't obviously you'll have people saying, no, we don't want to change. We don't want to change. But you don't expect an individual who's basically farms are small businesses as well. Mm. who's running a small business and trying to make it profitable to be the one who's going to make those changes <laughs> because everybody in business has to make ends meet. And feed a family, put food on the table, like all of that stuff. It's up to the government to balance the greater good through policy. And this policy has not only, like the RT investigates highlighted one of the consequences of this policy of what they call like so-called efficiency and intensification. But so we have a, a lot of bull calves that are basically being treated as a waste product. Mm-hmm. They can't be sold or given away in the marts. And there's awful animal cruelty happening to them as a result because there's so many they're being live exported all of that stuff one consequence that was highlighted this week there's also the consequence for example that it's had on other sectors the tillage sector is basically priced out of land because mm. dairy is too profitable and when there's a restriction on the number of nitrates you can apply the dairy sector is renting land even if they're not using it to be able to apply more nitrates they're pricing the tillage sector out it's had a negative impact on other sectors like beef sheep We've never really had much in the way of support for horticulture, so I can't say it's had a massive impact on that, but it hasn't allowed horticulture to grow, something we desperately need. Another impact is on our environment. And, you know, time and time again, we're not reaching our targets. Ireland's an outlier in a European context in that, you know, more than a third, it's the biggest single largest contributor to our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, So dairy, the number of cattle in the dairy herd has increased by... 60% 60% in the last 10 years, 40 or 60%. Sorry, that I don't have that correct. Either, either way, it's staggering. Like, you We're at 1.6 million. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so that has a, con- a, a negative impact on our emissions and we get fined as a country, you know, for, for not reaching our targets. And then we also have the damage to our pristine waters, mm. uh, to our soil quality, because the, the increase in chemicals being applied to them massively increases the amount of feed that we have to import from mainly South America to feed these cattle because, I mean, the notion that they're all grass-fed, <laughs> like there yeah. isn't enough grass yeah, to feed like, the cattle. Can, can, can I put this to you? Um, don't, mean to, so yeah, don't mean pushing it and saying, actually, yeah. we're using 
where cows and dairy cows have to assume, essentially assume, consume, and it's, put, it's been put to me this way, fossil fuels in order for us to eat them. Yeah, and like, look, I think it's important to, to weigh this up as well. Like, I do think we need uh, a dairy sector. I, I'm, and, not, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying I don't yeah. think people get how stark this is, you know, like in terms of, yeah. what, you know, if we're talking um, uh, carbon miles, if we're talking the, the sources of nitrates, if we're talking how we're manufacturing these, we're effectively, you know, like, you know, the, we notice the, the, the every year we get this tipping point of when the when we use up the resources the planet have and every year it gets it gets shorter. I think this year we surpassed it at the end uh, middle of April. You know, yeah. so so we're 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 literally doing um, our full year's ration of what we're supposed to consume in a quarter now, uh, and and it's terrifying when you put it. It's, but I but I also then want to want to push ask you about. We saw um, the nature restoration laws in the European Parliament pa- pass with these amendments, and the amendments were championed by none other than um, <laughs> Fine Gael MEPs in there. And the amendments uh, seem to make the actual nest- nature restoration laws almost um, unenforceable and, 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 and too weak to actually get the job done. Yeah, there's a real danger. Like, for one, there was a lot of resistance to the nature restoration law in the first instance. Huge and that amount. Was coming from the EPP, which is Fine Gael's grouping in Europe, but also from Sinn Féin, and that needs to be pointed out. And then um, the, and now, Sinn Féin did vote for it. Absolutely, so you know. did the EPP in the end. Yeah, yeah, I, I accept that, but but Sinn Féin made their stated their case clearly, I'd say, you know, a few weeks beforehand, whereas she, uh, Fine Gael waited until the morning of to uh, express their concerns. Came around sooner, but it was all the same stoking up a fear, and there hasn't been much commentary about it, you know, from Sinn Féin, like, yeah, no, you know, I, 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 I'm not I feel like a defending Sinn Féin, but I'm not. I, I interviewed Lynn Boylan about it, and Lynn, very much like yourself, comes has this environmental lens that she sees things through. That's where mm-hmm. you know, it's what she did in college. So she's very passionate about that, and that's what she's worked in before politics. I also do think, yeah, Sinn Féin tried to attempt to ride two horses because, uh, you know, on the on the one hand we have this message, and on the other hand you see Sinn Féin TDs in uh, in border counties saying, "Look, don't worry about it. We'll, you know, we'll this this is we're standing with 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 these. We don't need this change." And so, yeah, there is there is that element. But again, I, I can only go on the the most recent conversation with with Lynn, and she was very much in favour of it. Yeah, I think she probably is. To be fair, I think she is a a really good environment spokesperson for the party, but mm. um, it is hard to tell on on the whole sometimes what Sinn Féin's cl- climate policies are, but I think it's clear what Lynn's are, mm. 100%. That's, yeah. Okay. Um, but like, I think the thing about it is, Tony, is like we're in a situation now where like when you zoom out and like it's 2023, like we're in a very sticky situation now whereby we have to drastically turn the ship in terms of climate action. and really have politicians essentially when you break it down debating about whether or not we take action Mm. is shameful Mm. (laughs) you know and like ultimately all the conversations need to be about like how how do we do it like quickly as possible you know and that's not reality so 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 climate climate denialism has become climate delayism yeah and it's it's like what we just mentioned earlier about short-termism you know that they think that's Mm. what people want to hear to get votes but like like, like I said, if you're an individual landowner and there's going to be a financial impact potentially on your holding, that it makes sense that you'd have an aversion. 
the job of the government is to balance the greater good, not to fall prey to any kind of lobbying that you get. And in my experience, the IFA, for example, are saying a very different thing to individual farmers who know exactly what the situation is, know the changes are coming down the line. And I think what they genuinely really like is proper solutions, good policies that protect the future of the sector, because crucially, the sector that will be most affected by climate change is agriculture. Mm. Soil quality, water quality, climate, we depend on all of that to but but if we were but if we were serious about the, if we were serious about the nature restoration laws we we'd put money into it and just give farmers the the ability to not see that Incredibly, small business that's part of the nature restoration law that is funding for I, transition oh, and know. in addition to that for example the rewetting was the most controversial part of it and that would all be done on creelstone and state owned land so there was no real issue it was this it's very Oh yeah, but we we heard like where's the cost? Where's the cost benefit analysis? There was loads of cost benefit analysis done, you know. Like I had Damien Thompson on who helped write um, much of the 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 nature restoration laws when they went forward, and he was absolutely infuriated with the disinformation. And in fact, one of the IFAs brought a so an expert to give evidence to a committee, and two days later had to withdraw the entire evidence that they'd given because it was factually incorrect. They made it, oh. and, and that was that was down to out and out lobbying because they got their points across before they actually withdrew them. And that's very dangerous. I, I, I'm conscious of time. I want to move to another topic that's something that you've been involved in for a number of years and, and then passed under the radar. And I'm sorry for this framing, but uh, Holly, I'm sure you'll understand why I'm doing it. Now we're at a situation with the mother and baby home redress scheme that it is it has passed through the Oireachtas. It's now put into law. It excludes over forty percent of people who were affected by the mother and baby homes, and it sets a floor that that some people will be entitled to amount of money that is less than RTE spent on flip flops. Yeah, no, that that's the reality. Like you know, and I think for one, just for context for your listeners, this is the third piece of lousy legislation this government has come up with for survivors of mother and baby institutions. So there was the birth information and tracing legislation, which many people I've talked to, when they put in their request for their information, that by the way, everybody else has been entitled to forever, just not adopted people, because there's so much to hide in Ireland in relation to that. And they they're not getting the information back that they've managed to figure out themselves over the years. So very much feel like a lot of information still being withheld from them. If they've managed through getting individually in touch with different institutions and different things to get more than they get back with their with this new law that's now supposed to give them all of their information. There's that. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was the, uh, the the burials bill, basically. So yeah. they're finally going to excavate tomb, but they legislated basically for just tomb because of the international outrage about that. And we know but there's course, so many more sites all across the country. Exactly. So it's like like everybody's just as entitled to know where their disappeared loved one is not just because it got international outrage, you know, any unknown site. Anyway, so they're they're the two that went before that. And then we have the redress scheme where there was finally supposed to be some kind of recognition or compensation or even just a bit of, I was about to excuse my language, but like acknowledgement, a bit of, you know, anything. And when you consider like what's happened to these people, their children be taken from them, in many instances, abuse, slave labor, illegal vaccine trials, like, really unimaginable, unmarked mass graves, like all of this stuff. And they came up with this scheme that like in the first instance, when they when it first came out and we were all outraged, oh my God, if you're in the institution next, less than six months, you don't get anything. And I genuinely totally thought, that's a red herring now, they'll obviously change that. Mm. But they want us to not notice how 
pathetic the payments are. Five mm. grand mm. for something like that. Like we, like you said, RTs put more flip flops. You get more if you fell off of a pavement yeah. and took action. It's an absolute disgrace. So I thought, oh, they're putting in this six month thing just to distract us all. So we're all outraged about that and not noticing how pathetic the whole scheme is, like payments. Yeah. And uh, nope, <laughs> they stuck with it. And we spent, I mean, I don't know how many hours, 30 hours. Sorry, dude, over 30 hours we debated this legislation, be that in committees. There's all the different stages before legislation is passed or whatever. And for 30 hours, we're saying to the minister, where did you get the six months from? How can you mm. exclude somebody who spent less than six months in an institution? A load of experts in child psychology, doctors, clinicians, wrote to the minister and said, where are you getting this from? He was misquoting people in Europe who were writing back saying, why did you say I said that? I didn't say that. All this kind of stuff. And he just, you know, the way like when you ask politicians a question, like, what time is it? And they mm. go, well, there's different time zones around the world and time yeah, is yeah, yeah, invented yeah. in whatever yeah. and like all of this stuff. He did that for 30 hours mm. overall and never gave an explanation as to why people spend that much time. But the, the reality is that it's completely unconstitutional. So there'd be loads of cases taken against and, the, and, the and, minister. And, and, and remember, the state already lost the case uh, when, when they were taken yeah. about, the, about the actual report itself. Yeah. <laughs> Like exactly. so, so like they're on a loser from the get go. But it goes back to that awful phrase that I borrowed from Noelle Brown, where she said, "Delay, deny, and wait for me to die." That is literally how people feel here in those institutions, and I can't blame them. And I have to say, if you imagine all of the trauma and everything that goes with being born in one of those institutions or incarcerated into one of them, mm. then to go through the whole roller coaster of like, if we rewind to that. The, Finally, they agreed to do a commission investigation. That was a, tra- a trauma in and of itself because they were forced to by the discovery of over 600 babies in tomb. Mm. Then, so it was a really reluctant commission. Then the commission took ridiculously long to come up with their findings. And their findings were outrageous. It is broadly discredited. It's discriminatory. It's honestly outrageous. Mm. And then, so all of that trauma. Then you think, okay, the information thing kind of the same treatment that these people have always had, disregarded, put down, shamed. Mm. You know, they get that from the report, then from the birth information tracing scheme, then from the Burials Act. And then you finally think you might get a bit of redress, acknowledgement for the trauma, for the lifelong, everything that goes with it. And again, (laughs) to get kind of disregarded, Ignored. Insult, insult on top of injury, on top of uh, insult, and it's 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 beyond cruel. And again, it slipped under the radar in the last couple of weeks. The government must have been thrilled to see how the airwaves were filled with talk of who spent what on going to see Garth Brooks, and uh, you know, and again, public money is public money. We we it's 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 well worth that. But you know, is it is it really as important as what happened to our brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles? mothers it's not in in the grand scheme of things i i again i want i want to be um i hate going down the route of um the cult of personality but you have become uh, a bit of a um and uh, you know this is not your fault but but you 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 represent something different to a lot of people at the moment and the phrase was used the irish aoc now I, you know, I have my own feelings about how AOC has done since she's gone into she's gone into support Joe Biden from supporting uh, Bernie Sanders and, and and my feelings about that. But nonetheless, it it very much is something that uh, 
made me go, I, I don't know how Holly would feel about that. How does Holly feel about that? Yeah, I think like I was actually asked about this the other day and like part of me thinks like, is it just there's so few like women in their early 30s kind of mm-hmm. in politics in that way that it's like we have to look to America to find a comparison, like to a different continent. I was thinking mm-hmm. like, is it kind of like comparing like Gary and Ed Sheeran, like so few gingers. In the yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just like obviously. Well, I, well, they're well, they're both bad singers, from what I gather, you know. But nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but no, it, like it is I, I, okay. Except that, but then let's let's then let's broaden that out and say many of the and I pointed this out yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. The the Dutch deputy prime minister is stepping down. Has received several death threats. She's um she's she's not um. She's not a younger woman. She's an older woman, but she's nonetheless left leaning. And I do find that some of the stuff that's happening when we've seen uh, younger women leaving politics tends to be people who maybe fit your uh, characteristics, Holly. Yeah, she's a lot of, yeah. It's like you said, her and Nicholas yeah. Sturgeon and stuff like that. People who, people who, I you know, again, I, I might push the stock them to find out, like, just bloody hell, are you left enough for someone like Tony Groves who carries a copy of the Communist Manifesto with him at all at all times? But, you know, that's a different... You can answer that, Tony. Yeah, uh, yeah well, you know, but, but my point being, there does seem to be this, um, this... Do we will we make someone like Holly Cairns into the Irish AOC, put him on a pedestal, and then take shots at you? Oh yeah, well people are always taking shots anyway, isn't it? That seems to be kind of you know a common practice in in politics. And I think the more you do, like you know, the difference it levels up from being a councillor to a TD, then from being a TD to party leader. Mm. Um, and certainly, I think women get more, younger people get more. So being a younger woman, I think you're just in a lot of firing lines, um, whether they're subconscious or not. You, like- you did have that unfortunate incident recently where where you were berated on the street absolutely inappropriately and and in 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 full view of people that this should not be happening. No one, no, nobody should be putting up with that, whether you're, whatever walk of life you're in. But I, you know, and I've seen government TDs now is talk about you know you know feeling that the, the 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 vibe is different outside Leinster House. They're finding that you know there's a tension there, um, and yet and I'm not this is, and yet we've seen some of these elements that that berated you. Some of the people involved with those people that are linked to those people walking in and out of libraries and causing chaos as well. So you know how do we square the circle, Holly? Because we want protections to be for everybody, and particularly you should not be have to put up with that type of shit. But you also shouldn't then be reading that people in Cork Library don't feel safe going to work because the same people who were in photos with the people who you who were screaming at you are w- walking around and seemingly allowed to carry out these things. Yeah, I, I, it's awful. And I Tony, you know, I don't know if I have the solution because after that happened, obviously, because because they put it on Twitter, I got mm. loads of like, you know, requests from media and, and stuff like that to talk about it, go out about it, whatever. And I'm really conflicted on that because I don't think it deserves the time of day, that mm. behavior. I don't think it deserves the airtime. And I'm not sure <laughs> that like giving it lots of airtime doesn't encourage it. Mm. You know, I, so I, I I agree. Let's really not act. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's there's an element of, you know, it's it, that nonsense of the debate that we know failed in the US where they said, well, if we debate them in the marketplace of ideas, somehow they'll just stop. And it didn't happen because actually what you did is you legitimized some of the views because they said we're, we're giving more scope to them. But, I, but I'm pointing out that this state probably has an, a role here to say, you know, where we've seen it's 
down the road from me in Berkeley Road, uh, forced eviction, um, carried out the arms of the state, a helicopter overnight in Fibsborough flying backwards and forwards. And yet people walking into libraries and, and carrying on like this, there, there does seem to be some, we have to be able to do more than this. Yeah, I think there's a responsibility on everybody, actually, as well, because like it, everything's becoming more and more polarized and like there never used to be this kind of. I don't think we don't we haven't really seen this kind of thing before in the same way. It's new. And I think a lot of it has come from a really polarized kind of new way. And like it's hard to feel like a lot of it doesn't come from Twitter to a mm. certain extent and seep out into reality. And it's like a real shame, I think. And it's not too late for us to to change the culture. You know, like, I mean, the the the, the reality is that it, at the moment it feels like it's getting worse, not better. Mm. Um, and I think, like, you know, also there's loads of people actually who are getting a lot of abuse. And like we had Pride and stuff recently. And that's really in recent times gone from what I I felt and maybe wrongly had become more of a celebration than a protest mm -hmm. in, in recent years. And now it's back to actually we need this to, to raise awareness, to protect people, that people are afraid to walk down the street. Um, or like, you know, I think we're seeing a change. And mm. I guess I'm not entirely sure how we address that. But I think one of the things is legislation to protect the LGBTQ plus community. You know, there is things we can do around hate speech. And I know that's scary for a lot of people. But it has to be done right. Mm. And then that's, you know, kind of a, like things that I think could be legislated for. But like a lot of things need to start at, at the point of education. So, yeah, but you know, there's kind of a much, bottom up approach how, that we need to uh, Accepting that. So bearing in mind that, again, you spoke if you've done leaders questions now several times and you've continually one of the drums you've beaten quite effectively in my opinion is the idea that you know um government are telling us what they're doing and, and not acknowledging 12 years in government and how they how they were there so yeah. so when you talk about some of these issues and some of the communities that are impacted those yeah. communities are the most socioeconomic deprived those communities are the ones that had the lack of opportunities you know what do you propose because we're we're only 12, 18 months away from a general election, somewhere in that window, depends on how many budgets they can get through and what they can, how much money of our own money they can try and bribe us with, Holly. Um, what do you think that the the, the SOC Dems will be coming forward for the general election to say, look, you know, um, this is where we're different. This is why we think, you know, this is what we, what tact, what direction we think the country's going in. What What would you change? Like we change a lot. The annoying thing is that we always have to come from a perspective with an alternative budget where we're at exactly now and the things you do when you couldn't have changed a load of decisions made up until this point. But for example, like at the moment in their like summer economic statement or whatever, they're saying, oh, we're going to, you know, like tax cuts <laughs> basically is what they're talking about. And like I understand why people resent paying tax in Ireland because you don't get the public services back for it. But if you are in a cost of living crisis using tax cuts, giving people a few euro back of their own money <laughs> to try and keep support and votes and stuff, at least do it in a targeted way. Because in a cost of living crisis, people on a wage like that I'm on as a TD, that ministers, junior mm. ministers and all of that are on, don't need a tax break. You know, well, well if if, if, if the according to the again, I spoke to Stephen Kinsler and he said the worst thing we could do with our money, um, with our windfall, 
tax avoidance yeah. Ireland with our windfall is actually due tax cuts. That was, um, I mean, you know, the Irish ah, financial, yeah. yeah, the Irish financial fiscal council said the same. The Irish government's evaluation, economic evaluation service said the same. But it is effectively anywhere else we call it. Um, populism but i put it to you and it's something i i think the opposition need to be more clear on these aren't tax cuts um for the squeeze middle these are tax cuts for the the already well off because they will they, because and again people on it someone on a td salary will benefit four times more than someone on the actual median average salary because we keep hearing with the squeeze middle but the squeeze middle is 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 not someone on fifty thousand, as according to um, Fine Gael. It's actually someone on thirty four thousand. You know, so this is insane. The reason that they use the term squeeze middle is because it's so broad, and a lot of people think that feel like they're the squeeze middle, regardless of where they're actually at. So it's, hmm. it's just a it's just a political kind of stunt. Like, but the thing is, Tony, people see through it now. There's, a tax break isn't a break if it erodes the the services that underpin your quality of life and your cost of living which is what we've had forever in Irish politics, is a move towards the kind of privatisation of services and tax breaks. And the, the difference in approach that we would take basically is a move away from that model, I think. And ultimately, there's a recognition now, I think, amongst the Irish public, that we don't want these tax breaks anymore because they don't help us. It doesn't improve our quality of life. It doesn't, if you're, you know, somebody who's in the older population, it doesn't help your 30-year-old move out of their childhood bedroom. If you're that 30-year-old, it doesn't help you either. Like, mm. you know, I think that, like, broadly, people see through this policy so, so, position now. Yeah, but okay, you, but again, back to back to the next general election then. So you've already said that you're worried about Sinn Féin's climate policy. You've already shown, as I said from leaders' questions, that you don't think Fine Gael are going to get the job done. Where where do you think the, the where do you think the space actually is? Because and I say that again, coming back uh, as a as as no no questions asked, a a red green leftist here. Where do I think the space is for the Social Democrats to grow? Yeah, and how are you and 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 what message are you going to actually push on? Like where, like because everybody's going to say housing, but where do you think it's going to? Where do you think it's going to make or break the next general election? Because you're you're going to play. You you could actually be in government the next time with any of those two medium sized parties, maybe one large sized party. That's where that's where the opportunity is. What are your red lines on that? Good few red lines, to be honest, and like you know. To be honest, we want to go into government, but mm -hmm. it's really important to explain to listeners as well that you don't know. It's really difficult to analyze or predict will we or won't we with particular parties, depending on the arithmetic of when we go back, because it's about the impact we can have on that government. So I'm not going to go in for the sake of it to kind of say we went into government. Here we are. It's about do we have the critical mass to have an impact and to implement our red lines? One of the like the last time there was program for government talks. We stopped talking to Fine Gael fairly lively when housing came onto the agenda. That's the reality. It's difficult to imagine being able to govern with Fine Gael. We're the polar opposite in terms of our policy positions on a lot of things. Um, but it's all about how much of an impact does a particular party have on a government, hmm. you know? And until we kind of know what that is, it's really difficult to say. Another red line issue versus obviously Sancha Care. Roisin Shortall, the chair of the Sancha Care Committee, the basic principle of social democracy we currently spend more per capita on healthcare than any other country in Europe. And we're the only country without a national health service. You know, obviously people will say, oh, you know, they're trying to implement it now. But like it was, the, the committee said it would take 10 years to implement it. Obviously we know it can't happen overnight. That was five years ago. We're not halfway there. 
We and need to push the will. No, I, then, I, I, okay. So healthcare uh, position on housing. Go, go. Um, what, we've mentioned climate. Uh, you've seen how another thing that. Oh, sorry, Tony, just to highlight this because at the moment the way things are in Ireland, we're a rich country, but a lot of people are struggling, hmm. and like it's difficult to put this in as like a, a soundbite issue or whatever. But sixty-five percent increase in child homelessness in the last year alone, hmm. and like basically. The single biggest determining factor as to whether or not you live in poverty as a child is if you're um, from a single parent family, from a lone parent family. And if you if your parents have a if one of your parents has a disability. So really targeting support for one parent families and for disabled people, providing supports for disabled children and adults is like something that every party will say they do. But if you look at their alternative budget, they do not. Mm-hmm. And that is key because the government in the last budget acknowledged that there is a cost having a disability because for the first time ever there was a cost of disability payment, but it was a one-off payment. And mm-hmm. as you know, for the vast majority of disabled people, you have a disability 365 days mm-hmm. of the year. Not oh, one. I, Tom Clonan um, introduced his legislation in the last uh, couple of weeks, and you know it may actually mean that because again, Ireland is one of the outliers that we didn't. We didn't implement the optional protocol, which meant that even though we were supposed to have these rights as people with persons with disabilities, they couldn't attest them. So they're they're not really there's, there's rights on papers, but not in not in practice. Um, and I think it's really important that we do point to that because, uh, again, Tom Clonan said to me about six years ago when we first spoke about himself and uh, his son Owen, and he, and Owen made the point that society uh, disables him much more than the, the than his 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 own disability, and this is this is part of the problem. Um, Really, really quickly, if you don't mind, though, uh, do you think there's going to be a government without Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael? I don't I like I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't know. But one of the things because like I have to be honest, I wasn't that into politics before I literally went into yeah, it. Yeah, we, 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 we know we know you're radicalized. Uh, you're radicalized yeah. at an old at a, you're, you're not like a nerd like me, but but you're but you're much more nerdy these days. Yeah, much more nerdy now, but I really was just like, like a lot of people had no interest in it. I just thought politics was, you know, it it was disillusioned by it. But Mm -hmm. um, like the the thing that I learned after the first election I went for, so I went into Cork County Council in 2019. And like at that election, Cork County Council went from 11 Sinn Féin councillors to two. And then what was this, eight months later, there was a general election and they, they nearly won the election. Mm. So people don't decide what way they're voting until the election is called. And you asked me earlier where I see the social democracy being positioned or like, you know, what the story is. The, what politics is changing in Ireland now. The tide is turning. 100 years of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, first time ever. Well, they're kind of in a conference as well or whatever, but that now they yeah. need each other to hold a government and another party and independence. So this is it. This is the moment we can all feel it. Mm. And I speak to people all the time who go, yeah, I'm sick of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil, and Fianna Gael. I really am. But I don't think I want it to be Sinn Féin. So I think there is, a, I think what happened in Irish politics was we've always had this strange political landscape. You can't compare it to other countries because it was like two very like similar in policy terms parties that were different based on different kind of civil war heroes. And that's understandable because we have a unique history. Mm. After, you know, decades of kind of failed policy, people are starting to move away from the I am 
being a fall of Fine Gael, which is really different to most countries in that sense, I think. You almost feel like you are like you are Irish or something. And a move, you know, and that was actually just created by a void of them doing things that were obvious or necessary or the bare minimum, really, to be honest. Mm. And the only party that were kind of there and big enough to fill the gap is Sinn Fein. And a lot of people voted for the word change rather than necessarily exactly, I think, what a, a policy from that party is. And I think choice is very important in politics. And I just, I think like obviously as well, now as the leader of the party, I have a huge job of work to do in terms of finding the people to stand to give people that option. But I think mm. when people have an option to vote for a progressive change in the next election, option is good. Mm. And, you know, I would say to people, because, you know, would one you, of the reasons... Would, I would, you like, go, would you like a left-wing government? Yeah. Of course. And would you like? And uh, so now again, I, I've 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 seen Sinn Fein running to the centre. I'm worried that uh, this is what happens with small parties that they govern uh, that they they mm. campaign on the left and run to the centre, Holly. And you know, again, uh, this is this is the cynic in, in me. You know, uh, you mentioned, but you were spot on about one thing. I spoke to Kevin Cunningham, Mister Ireland thinks uh, the other day. We had a good hour and six minutes for podcasts. It's out there oh, now. I can't for, wait to listen to that one. Oh, it was really yeah. like we really nerded it out. But he, he, one of the things that he did point out was all of the analysis post twenty twenty show that people the wave happened after the election was called. Yeah, all yeah. of the all of the data shows that. So it's all to play for when the sounding gun is shot. Not you know, not the not the pantomime that myself and Martin engage in on a, on a you know on a Sunday maybe, but certainly like those things matter. But people don't. The majority of people don't focus in until they've given it. Exactly. And can I tell you something, Tony, as well? The interesting thing that we never look at in the polls is the amount of undecided voters. Mm. And I really relate to those voters because I feel like that is me four years ago. Mm. And one of the reasons I decided to go for the leadership position when it came up is that, that I think they're the people that we need to reach. And I would say to those people as well, I always thought, and I think a lot of us do, that politics is for somebody else. You know, that they're kind of an other and they have some kind of special qualification or special invitation or something like that. And that, like, I couldn't possibly do that or I don't know enough or no, I wouldn't be able. And Like all of these different things and feelings, I completely understand you if you're that listener. And I'm asking you to get involved because this is the time things are going to change, but we can't do it without you. We need people to get involved. We need candidates. We need canvassers. And I think it's like, even recently, I did an interview and the photographer was saying, but what do you mean get involved? Because I'd like to get involved, but it's meaningless to me. And it's about remembering, yeah, that was again me four years ago. I wouldn't have known what that means. Mm. It mean, it can mean like helping with the tally at the count. It can mean knocking on doors. It can mean leaflet dropping. It can mean being a chair of a branch. It can mean being a candidate. It can mean being a member and nothing else because you're too busy with three kids and a full-time job. But it's about getting involved if you want to, to see a change can't just expect it to happen. We need people to help and get involved. And I'm genuinely asking people to do it. Uh, I, I feel like I've just given a party political broadcast to Holly Kearns, leader of Social Democrats. But I, I appreciate where you're coming from. I would also say to people, make sure you're an activist first. Remain an activist. Always be an activist. But anyway, look. Yeah, and um, make sure you look into all the parties and find out which one is the one for you. I did that. And, you know, because I felt it was important not to inherit my vote, not to take the first thing. But also... Asking somebody else to vote is huge because if we all had our say, I think we'd have a different result. Every vote counts. 
if I was to ask you then, uh, going back to how we started this podcast on the on the idea of how uh, how you feel you guys have got on, I asked Paul Murphy to give me a grade, and uh, he said he gave himself. Uh, and Paul, uh, no offense, he said he said oh, we get a top grade, and I said you get a C plus from me, and he said you're you're a tough grader. So bear in mind, where would you put yourselves, Holly? God, what do you mean? Put the social democrats? Yeah, what grade would you give yourselves for the performance in in in, in opposition over the last twelve months? I think in the doll, I would give us a good mark. In on the whole, we need to do more to to reach more people. Um, it's really like an important time for the party, and it's now my responsibility to do that. And I think, you know, I'm happy with how we're going in the polls and stuff yeah. like that. But we need to do better. We need to do more. There's no question that you've you've uh, you've given a new impetus to the direction of the party. There's no question that, and that's not to have a shot at at your predecessors in any way. It's just no. a different. It's just a change in 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 energy in that direction, which has been really positive. You've been front and center. I if I if you were to say to me, Tony, oh, well, look, you answer the question, Tony. I'd say, yeah, tell us. I, I'd, I'd I'd give you two. We want feedback. I'd, I'd give you two. I'd give you two grades, right? I'd say in opposition, um, you've actually been uh. You, you yourself, Keno Callahan, I thought has done very well. There's been, you know, Jen Whitworth. There's been some really good performances on certain aspects. Some of it, again, for a political nerd, I'd, I'd like to see more. Um, I'd see to more, like more rough and tumble. So let's let's just say we gave you. Let's say I gave you a C plus. But I will say one thing that you've done really effectively in your media performances is you've started to put yourself as the opposition within opposition. You've talked about. The people on the opposition benches. You've talked about Sinn Fein more than than others have, and I think that might stand to you um, as a point of differentiation. That you're saying, well, I want to actually, you know, I don't want because it's a concern people like me have that you know do what's the point and what's the point in just rearranging the the deck chairs on the Titanic? I'd rather have um, I'd, I'd rather see a real change. So I'd, I'd say on that level, to you personally, you've done really well on that. Please. Double down on it. Make sure it's you guys get harder. And if I see you playing footsie with Finna Fall and 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 and, and, and keen out with Dara O'Brien and and uh, and and, and launching, there'll be murder, Holly. Absolute murder. <laughs> I will say because actually it's an important point that when people go into politics, you see this kind of contortion of personality and principle. And when mm. you know, often saying what they think needs to be said to get the vote. And then when you see parties getting bigger attempt to not lose that and we're nearly there and this kind of trying to be everything to everybody and becoming potentially nothing to anybody mm. and like I one of the things that drives me mad Tony is all the time I get old packs people with years and years of experience in politics trying to explain to me that I need to be more vanilla to appease more people and I'm always saying do you think that I don't get that it's that mm. I choose not to because I didn't go into politics to Plumas people, mm. <laughs> I went in because I thought that I, I, as an individual voter, constituent, whatever you call it, wanted my politicians to be more honest rather than saying what they thought I wanted to hear for a vote. And we we can see that it's under it's kind of understandable. But like that, Sinn Fein were not even out on the RT investigates, and presumably because they think that farmers won't like it, and that is short sighted. <laughs> and I think. A disservice to farming communities because one of the things we we'll finished where we started in a way on the the uh, investigates program. Mm. One of the things our agriculture sector is very important to us culturally, also economically. Massive amount of exports in agriculture. We have a green brand abroad. 
which is what makes the sector so valuable. A programme like this risks us losing that. That has a multifold impact and farmers recognise that. I went on prime time the other night, not one government TD or minister would come on the programme. So they're just not going to talk about it. Mm. Nobody from Sinn Féin has mentioned it. So you've got the three biggest parties being like, don't want to go there. What does that say about the three biggest potentials? I'm sorry, but it's like this kind of, it's that approach to politics that is not good enough. It's saying, I'm not going to bring it up because it's controversial and it might Mm. lose me support. Farmers deserve better and everybody else does too, because this is a policy that impacts all of us. It has an impact on our climate action, on our food security, on our food production, our water, our soil, our future rural communities from from my own personal perspective, where I am now, where I live. And it's simply not good enough. It has to be pointed out. And I think a lot of the reason that people move towards wanting to vote for something other than Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael was a a hope for that. Holly Cairns, Sock Dems leader. Thank you for taking time to talk to me uh, and enjoy. The, I know you. I know you're up to your eyes in work, so it's not like you've you've gone to the recess and not had lots to do. But enjoy. I hope you get a few days off and uh, and and wherever you go, I hope the the weather is not too oppressive because we're we're really seeing it play out in front of our eyes. You know, we it's it's happening now. So uh, listen, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. We'll we'll have another um, another conversation later. Uh, and uh, former firebrand Brendan Ogle. Will be joining me for a conversation about about a bit of everything. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Talk to you soon, folks. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.